Alhamdulillah, Wakafa, Wasalam on Allah, Badahil, the Dean of Staffa, Amabad, Audi Billahi, Minishit, Oni, the Jimmy, Bismillah, Rahman, and Rahim, Ula Ekakal and An, Balhum Adan, Ula Ekahumal Hafidun, Subhana, the Baker, the Bill Esti, Amaya Sifun, Wasalam on Allah, Mursaleen, Walhamdulillah, Hidden Bin Alameen, Allah, Musalli Allah, Sidna Muhammad, Wala Ali Sidna Muhammadin, Wabarak, Wasalna. There are two things I want to talk about today. One, uh, very briefly. Uh, many times I've mentioned to, uh, several times I've mentioned to many of you, uh, a hadith in which Rasulullah wasallam said that amongst the seven types of people who will be in the, under the shade of the throne of Allah SWT on the Day of Judgment, on that day well, there will be no shade except His shade. Uh, amongst those seven types of people, I've talked about those two people who love one another for the sake of Allah, meet for His sake, and depart from one another for His sake. Today I'm actually going to read the entire hadith out to you, because sometimes some of you have asked who were the other six categories. So Sayyidina Abu Hurairah who narrates that Rasulullah said, seven people, seven types of people, seven categories of people will be shaded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the shade of his throne on that day, when there will be no shade but his shade. Number one, a just ruler. Number two, a young person who grew up in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or a young person who spent their youth in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, a person whose heart is attached to the masjid, and they long to return to it from the moment they leave it until they return. Number four, two persons who love one another for the sake of Allah, Meet for his sake and depart from each other for his sake. Number five. A person who remembers Allah's mantel in solitude and their eyes well up with tears. Number six. A man whom an extremely beautiful and rich woman seduces but in rejecting her seduction he says, I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number seven. A person who gives charity and conceals it to such an extent that their left hand does not know what their right hand has given. Again, these are seven types of people who will be shaded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the shade of His throne on the Day of Judgment. On that day when there will be no shade except His shade. Number one, a just ruler. Number two, a young person who grew up in the worship of Allah, who spent their youth in the worship of Allah. Number three, a person whose heart is attached to the masjid and longs to return to it from the moment they leave it until they return. Number four, two persons who love one another for the sake of Allah, meet for His sake and depart from each other for His sake. Number five, a person who remembers Allah's Ta'ala in solitude and their eyes well up with tears. Number six, a man whom an extremely beautiful and rich woman seduces, but rejecting her seduction, he says, I fear Allah. And number seven, that person who gives charity and conceals their giving of charity to such an extent that their left hand does not know what their right hand has given. And there are many hadith uh, which talk about particular people, or particular types of people, or particular character traits that are extremely beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you look at one central theme, in all of these types of people, all of these types of people have to be someone who has the ability to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sometimes, many of you might have studied in the social sciences, that sometimes something is recognized by its opposite. Sometimes you know knowing the self requires knowing the other. 
In Arabic there is a saying, that things are recognized or known by their opposites. So many times we talk about zikr, talk about the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today I wanted to talk about the opposite of that. What is the opposite of zikr? The opposite of zikr is ghafla. Ghafla is an Arabic word which means heedlessness or absent-mindedness. Heedlessness or absent-mindedness. That a person is mindless or forgetful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, it's the opposite of being mindful, of being remembrant or having remembrance or recollecting. Ghafla means to become totally, in its extreme case, to be totally absent-minded. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about such people in the Qur'an al-Kareem, أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْأَنْآمِ that those human beings, those members of my creation, upon whom I gifted, the, I graced them with the gift of humanity, I graced them with the gift of the ability to come and recognize me, to know me, to love me, to worship me. Despite having received that gift, if they chose to remain in a state of ghafla, in a state of heedlessness, then Allah SWT says about such members of the human race, أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْأَنْآمِ that such people are like animals. Balhum adal. In fact, they are even lower than animals, they are even more base than animals. Ula'ika humul ghafilun. That these are the people of ghafla, these are the people of heedlessness or absent mindedness. Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa uses such strong or stern language? about human beings who become heedless or neglectful of him, of his being, of his essence, of his attributes, of his book, of his messenger, of the teachings of his messenger, of worshipping him, of loving him, of fearing him, and of knowing him. And that is because heedlessness really in some sense, you know, obviously its most absolute form would be unbelief or disbelief. But at another level, the reason I'm bringing it up today is that ghafla is something that has actually become prevalent and predominant amongst believing Muslims. In other words, those members of the human race who actually believe in Allah SWT and His Messenger, they're still living in a state of ghafla, in a state of heedlessness or absent-mindedness, where they're distant and forgetful or entirely unaware at times, or perhaps in, in, in entirety, of their Lord. Now, what, why is it so devastating? Why is it so crippling? Why is it so severe an illness? And the reason for that is you can imagine zikr and ghafla just like light and dark. There is no third possibility. In other words, that if a person finds that at any moment in their life that they are not in a state of zikr or not in a state of remembrance of Allah, then that means at that moment they were in a state of ghafla, that they were in a state of absent-mindedness. Just like if you take a room. A room either has light in it or has darkness in it. There's no third possibility. There's no third category. There's no third type of room. Just like that, the heart of a believer either has the remembrance, the recollection of Allah inside it, or if it is absent from that remembrance and recollection, then it has the zulm, the darkness, the oppression of a ghafla or absent-mindedness inside of it. Now, if we look at ourselves, we would find that actually we spend so much of the day in a state of heedlessness. So much of our day passes by. And the reason this is so crippling is because this life that we have been given, even though in terms of our deen, our theology, we view this life as just a fraction of a millisecond, as a temporary sojourn on this world, as nothing more than if you look at a bird, and when a bird is flying around, and all of a sudden a bird lands or comes to light on a branch. Now how long does that bird stay on the branch? Just a fraction of a second before it flies away. 
the relationship of us to this world is even less than the relationship that that bird has with that branch. So on one level, it's just a fraction of a second. But on another level, it is the most important thing. It, this fraction of a millisecond is going to determine our entire eternal life, our entire state of existence, our state of being for all of eternity. That is actually an overwhelming responsibility. It's for this reason that Allah subhanahu wa said in the Quran that if the weight of the Quran, or rather the message, the weight of the message of the Quran was placed on even mountains, right? And that's an allegory. It means that if it was placed on something that could handle any type of weight, but rather they would have bowed down, they would have fallen to prostration out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's an incredible burden, right? I mean, if you take an example, let's say I give an example from class, that if I was to come into class one day and say, for the, how you, I'm going to give you a pop quiz, and it's going to last 30 seconds. And your performance on that 30 second quiz isn't just going to determine whether you pass or fail my class, I'll kick you out of lumps. You will be permanently expelled, or you will be allowed to stay. Or it will determine your entire future, your entire life. And imagine what type of pressure that would put, and what type of concentration, absolute, utter concentration and focus a person would have in that 30 second pop quiz. Well, just like that, this life, despite, or even though it is short, it is temporary, but it is extremely important. And that's why it's absolutely critical that we do not allow, we don't let ourselves live in this life in a state of heedlessness. And if you look at the way we manage our time, if you look at the way we manage our life, if you look at the way that we conceive of ourselves, our identity, in large part, many of us are actually living in a complete, blind, unthinking, in a spiritual sense, right? Unthinking, unfeeling uh, human creation, in which we're totally unaware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and unaware or not even keeping watch of our relationship over Him. And this is also one of the major differences between us and the early Muslims, or later Muslims, or between us and the successful Muslims, and between us and those Muslims who are able to implement and internalize the deen of Islam, and were able to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that they were people of awareness, they were people of consciousness, they were people of reflection, they were far from being people of heedlessness or absent-mindedness. And what happens when we become absent-minded, then we basically become numb. We become, our hearts become numb, we become entirely desensitized. In other words, and when a person is in a state of ghafla, then they're no longer able to tell what actions are pleasing to Allah, what actions are displeasing to Him. What thoughts are going to earn His pleasure, and what thoughts might lead me away from Him. What feelings might be uh, praiseworthy, and what feelings are blameworthy. What type of lifestyle, what nothing, uh, nothing remains, right? We become entirely numb and desensitized to any aspect of Islam or Allah subhanahu wa regulating or shaping or molding any aspect of our life. And so it's in that sense that ghafla becomes entirely crippling. Uh, and that's the reason why there's so much emphasis in the Qur'an al-Karim on dhikr, on even just general, abstract, unqualified remembrance and reflection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because dhikr is what removes our ghafla. Remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what removes our heedlessness and our absent-mindedness. And if you look at these seven categories, right, each and every one of these seven categories are people who successfully, who were able successfully to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very difficult for a person to be a just ruler. 
uh, if they're in a state of absent-mindedness, if they don't do it for the sake of Allah. Obviously, it's not possible for a young person to spend their youth in the worship and seeking the pleasure of Allah if they're in a state of absent-mindedness. So all of these categories really demand that we wake up to the reality of our life, wake up to the reality of our existence, wake up to the reality of the purpose of our life on earth. And that becomes very difficult, right? It's very difficult for a university student. Because what happens is it's not... Ghafla doesn't happen because we're evil or morally corrupt people. Sometimes we enter the state simply because we're so preoccupied with other things. We're preoccupied with mundane things, with neutral things, with permissible things. But we're preoccupied with things that have nothing to do with our purpose in life and have nothing to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And... And that is really, I mean, part of the purpose of these gatherings. Sometimes it's worthwhile for a person to take out 30 minutes or 45 minutes or one hour of their week and actually spend that time doing something or listening to something or sharing something that will enable us to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remind ourselves of our purpose. And sometimes it's really scary. Uh, you know, I myself sometimes, when a weekend passes or a long weekend passes, a person becomes terrified that, you know, what did I just do in the three, four day weekend, right? How am I going to account for those three days of my life to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment? So sometimes then a person should really want to voluntarily put themselves in a situation, perhaps, you know, I can, can spend 30 minutes of my life doing something or reading something or listening to something and maybe that 30 minutes of my life might be something that I don't have to account for on the Day of Judgment. I don't have to give hisab of it because I spent it purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the way then, on a more practical level, how is it that we can ideally eliminate but initially gradually reduce and lessen the amount of heedlessness that we might have in our life, right? One simple way is that to pick something in our life and to just become almost literally obsessive about it and to think that we have to perfect this aspect of our deen. It's very difficult to become perfect Muslim overnight. That's just impossible, really. Uh, you know, illa mashallah, except for people who are very uh, uniquely endowed and capable to become a perfect Muslim overnight. But there's something that we could begin. For example, one person can say, okay, I'm going to perfect, uh, I'm going to make it my passion or my obsession or my focus to perfect the use of my tongue. Or I'm going to try to perfect my prayer. Or even just try to perfect the sajda in my prayer. Right? Even whatever level, but it's very important for us to pick something in our life or pick some type of ibadah, some type of worship and try to bring that worship or that aspect of our life to a level of perfection. And you would find that if we do that even at a very small scale and a very minute level and very specific thing, you will find a sense of achievement, a sense of happiness. That okay, look, I actually tried to do something. I made effort. Allah SWT accepted my effort and He actually was able, He enabled me to reach some level of success in this endeavor. And that's really what a lot of us are lacking, right? Is we're lacking any success, any improvement, right? For example, if we were to ask ourselves that how many of us can actually say honestly that I'm a better Muslim today than I was two years ago? And if we can't say that, then I'm not a better, if we're unable to say that I'm a better Muslim today than I was two years ago, then that's something very seriously wrong, right? But that means that we didn't use our time properly. We didn't use our time wisely, right? Or even if, fine, that's a very general, abstract, all-encompassing thing. I'm a better Muslim. How about, can we say that about any single thing? Can we say that my prayer is better today than it was two years ago? 
My dua is better today than it was two years ago. My recitation of Qur'an is better today than it was two years ago. Or even more specifically, how many of us can even say my sajda is better today than it was two years ago? So if, we, if, if we're failing on all counts, right, it, it doesn't mean, I mean we cannot sit by idly and accept that lack of success. So what we have to, and that's what heedlessness enables us to do. In other words, when we become so preoccupied with our other aspects of our life, whether it's studies, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's spouses, whether it's children, uh, whether it's teaching, whether it's reflect, I mean, whatever it might be, if we become so preoccupied in that, then what happens is that heedlessness leads to a type of neglect. Then a person starts to neglect their deen. A person starts to neglect their own spirituality. And really what happens is a person starts to neglect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you think about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most neglected being in our life. We might think that we might be neglecting our spouse or children, we might think that we might be neglecting our students, we might think that we might be neglecting our parents, we might think we might be neglecting our friends. But if we're honest and we look at our life, if there's any one being that we're neglecting, we're actually neglecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, that's phenomenal, right? To actually think like that should be terrifying. That of all the beings in the world that I shouldn't neglect, it should have been Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I didn't neglect. But it, and this is, this is exactly what we mean, right? Neglect by ghafla, right? That what we've ended up doing is we've ended up living lives in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most neglecting being in our life. And that, that is something that, that absolutely has to change if we hope to be successful on this project of life, if we hope to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Day of Judgment, in any state in which we hope that we might be pleasing to Him and He might be pleased with us. So how to remove that neglect, right? So the first thing that we mention, again, is to pick one thing. In other words, to simply pick one thing and remove the neglect in that one thing. So if we feel that we do sajda neglectfully, let's try to remove the neglect in our sajda. Or if someone wants to start with du'a, that I feel that when I make du'a, I do it totally mindlessly, I do it neglectfully. So let's try to remove that state of ghafla in our du'a. Or if a person feels that when I'm with my friends, when I hang out with my friends, I totally lose myself, or I lose sense of reality, right? I mean, these are phrases, right? I lose, uh, you know, any sense of dignity, or I lose any sense of morality, or I totally neglect Allah SWT when I'm with my friends. So then maybe a person should make that battle, that okay, but from now on when I'm with my friends, and even, even the battle itself is gradual. Fine, I might not be able to 100% remember Allah SWT, but at least I can do something to prevent myself from falling into 100% neglect. I should be able to remember Allah SWT to some extent with my friends. There should be some activities at which I draw the line. Maybe I can't draw the line in everything. But there has to be something there. If nothing else, I mean like a person is just a safe face. Right? Just as a saving grace or saving face. At the end of the day, Bilakhir, there's something that I did put my foot down on, there is something that I did to draw, draw the line on, there is something that I did sacrifice for the sake of Allah, there is something that I did for the sake of Allah. So we have to search for these type of things, and we have to bring them back into our life, and we have to increase their number, manifold, we have to multiply their number manifold. Once our day and our night becomes sprinkled, becomes peppered with things of re with actions based on remembrance, with inaction based on, with refraining from sin, based on the remembrance of Allah, then you will find that Allah subhanahu wa madad, His nusrat, His help, uh, His mercy and His rahmah 
will descend. It won't just descend, it will fly. Uh, it will race towards us. You see, the beauty of a deen of Islam is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made success a shart. Right? He has not made success a condition. He has simply made effort a condition. He just wants to see our effort. Even in fact at one lower level, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just wants to see our desire. He just wants to see our talab, our niyyah, our intention and our desire. And that's really, I mean, the tragedy uh, of our situation. In other words, our tragedy is not that we're not people of tahajjud, or we're not people who read the Qur'an regularly, or that we're not uh, people who abstain from all sin. Uh, our tragedy is that we're no longer even people who desire such things. How many people actually desire? It's really a deep, burning desire in their heart that they become regular in their prayer, or they become feeling in their prayer, or they become regular in their du'a, or they become regular in their Qur'an, or they become regular in their dhikr, or that their heart flutters, or is, is imbibed, or is uh, you know, drowned in the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very few of us even desire such things anymore. And how many of us have actually made such du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I make du'a to you, my earnest, deep, sincere supplication and prayer. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, is that I want to have a heart that is alive. I want to have a heart that feels. I have a, want to have a heart that remembers. I want to have a heart that recollects. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want progress in my life. So when we're not making, imagine if any one of us even, even if you overheard somebody making a du'a like that in the masjid, or you overheard somebody making a du'a like that in the haram, or in masjid number, or in any place, right? how touched your heart would be if you happened to overhear somebody making du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in such a way. So me and you, we're, we're simple human beings. If our hearts would be deeply touched by hearing somebody making a du'a like that, then imagine how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala feels when one of his servants or slaves makes du'a to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala incredibly, uh, in a way that is incredible and really unknown and phenomenal, uh, uh, phenomenal and unknown to us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inclined, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, His love, His help, His generosity, His kindness, races towards such a person who turns to Him and even even just in du'a, even, even, even just in their heart, in a state of niyyah or in a state of intention and desire. So really, it's, it's very simple. You just have to take it one or two steps or make one or two sacrifices or make one or two changes in our life and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enable us to remove or to eliminate or to reduce the ghafla or the heedlessness that we have. So, Okay, one way that we've mentioned is to pick something and to just make that our focus that we're going to perfect that particular aspect of our deen. A second thing that we've mentioned in passing is to attend gatherings or to read books or to spend time in the masjid or either way to put ourselves in an environment or to do something that puts ourselves in a state of mind in which we're less likely to forget Allah and in which we're more likely to recollect Him and remember Him. And really all of us, you know, every Muslim needs that environment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has never, has not designed the deen of Islam as a go-it-alone path. It's not something which we're expected to do on our own. It's not something that we're expected to succeed on our own. And all of us need stimuli. All of us need reminders. All of us need nasiha or advice. 
All of us need good company. All of us need a good setting or a good place, right? And to whatever extent you control that, right? Uh, you control your rooms. You, I mean, it, you know, for some people, really, simply putting up reminders of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in your room, right? How many of us can actually, if we looked in our room, could say that okay, look, if I look around in my room, right? There are actually ten things in my room that actually can remind me of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, whether it's a Islamic calligraphy, whether it's a verse of the Quran, whether it's leaving out your masala or your janamas in the open, whether it's leaving a tasbih or something in the open, whether it's having one or two religious books always on your desk, even if you might not even have time to read them regularly, but they're regularly there on your desk. Your eye regularly falls upon them. Whether you regularly listen to maybe uh, Arabic tilawa of the Quran, whether you regularly listen to speeches or talks, but is there something that I have? Is there something I have in my computer? Is there something I have in my wall? Is there something I have in my pocket? Is there something I have in my office? Is there something that I have that would remind me of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? And people do that, right? I mean, if you look, there's this whole sort of modern, uh, you know, self-help, new age, spirituality type literature. Right, and it's actually becoming increasingly popular in Islam. You have all uh, in, in in Pakistan and non-Islam. Uh, in Pakistan, you have these all these seminars and conferences of you know <coughs> run by Pakistanis who spent a little bit of time in the U.S. and U.K. and managed to go to you know uh, Tony Robbins whatever empowerment seminar or so and so success seminar or so and so feel good about yourself seminar, and they brought these things back to Pakistan and they actually teach people these things, right? Uh, and you know the deen of Islam really or our relationship or our attachment to the deen of Islam really was ideally meant to be enough right it's actually a much more exalted way of self-help or mm, self-fulfillment or realizing a person's self-worth or their inner power or their inner potential etc but the one thing that these new people have right is that they're using strategies they're using techniques they're using ploys they're using mechanisms right and, you know, sometimes it's quite possible that you and I might have to use, uh, also have to use strategies, techniques, employees to remind ourselves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you think about it, this is really the difference between us and the Salaf, or us and the Sahaba, or us and the early Muslims, or the best Muslims, is there were people who never allowed themselves to fall in a state of absent-mindedness. They were so watchful over their hearts. They were so guarding of their state of dhikr, their state of remembrance. They were so careful with their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they were not allowed, I mean, even spending a moment, right? Uh, I mean, there's uh, some people would say in Persian that, uh, that that moment in our life that we spent in a state of heedlessness, we feel as if we've spent that moment of our life in a state of unbelief. They actually equated that. They said it doesn't even count. This moment of our life we won't even count on the Day of Judgment because we spent that moment in a state of absent-mindedness. Now if we were to hold ourselves to that level then we really would be terrified. Right? Uh, there was one Shashayk and somebody asked him how old are you? And he said, I'm four years old. And he said, what does that mean? And he said, it's only been for the past four years that I've actually succeeded at rem removing my ghafla and removing my heedlessness. Right? Prior to that I won't even count that as life. And that's what Allah SWT is saying in this verse. Right? Right, they're like animals. In fact, animals themselves engage in involuntary remembrance. Right? Uh, Allah SWT says in the Quran, each and every member of His creation is doing His tasbih or glorifying Him or doing hum, they're praising Him or doing some type of dhikr. 
So what this verse is saying is that human being who voluntarily forgets, he's obviously far, he or she is far lower than that human being who voluntarily remembers, and then she's even lower than the animals who involuntarily remember. And that's really what it is, so there's a scent of voluntarism, or a sense of exercising our own free will. And we have to be honest about that. None of us should try to make this excuse that, yeah, you know, I'm in a state of ghafla, or I'm in a state of absent-mindedness, but I didn't choose this, or something voluntary, or I didn't create it. Obviously we did. Everything about us is our own creation. It's a product of our own free will, our own determination. We have determined the type of life that we live in. And what we need to do then is consciously decide and determine whether we wish to live our life in a state of ghafla or whether we wish to live our life in a state of dhikr. So we began by saying that things are recognized by their opposites. When we realize the crippling nature of heedlessness, then we will come to realize and understand the importance of remembrance, the importance of dhikr, the importance of bringing Allah SWT back into our life. On a totally different angle, on a very practical level, one type of ghaflat is sleep. One type of being, one way in which our heedlessness actually becomes fed or becomes strengthened is when we sleep too much. And a lot of us have this problem is that we either oversleep, we sleep more than we should, or we sleep at times when we shouldn't be sleeping. We sleep at time to when we shouldn't be sleeping. And that means that Allah SWT said in many places in the Quran that I have created the night as a period of rest for you. In many of us, we stay up very late in the night. We're sort of night owls. There will be more barakah in the sleep, in, uh, in your sleep when you sleep at night. And there will be less barakah when you try to sleep during the day. And many of you may have noticed this happening. That when we stay up very late at night, or even if you stay up all the way till Fajr, and then you sleep after Fajr and then you get up at Zohar. You won't wake up at Zohar fresh. You're not going to sleep at 6 a.m. and you're not going to bounce out of your bed at 1 p.m. totally peppy and totally refreshed and ready for the day. You will roll out of your bed at 1 p.m. in a state of a complete sloth and utter disgust at yourself that you've woken up at this time. And you will remain half groggy and half like that for the rest of the day. And then what happens is that when the time for Isha comes or night falls, then we reflect on how little we actually did in that day. And then sometimes there are some people who that also is crippling. It leads them into like a state of depression or a state of inaction. And then when Isha comes and they're not able to do anything either. And then they go back to doing whatever idle uh, action they were doing and then they fall asleep again. And so it's very important to try to put ourselves in a good schedule. You will find that those days or those weeks or those nights in which you follow a schedule that is closer to the sunnah which is sleeping more at night. You can take an occasional nap during the day, but trying to make use, and, and, and conversely, just like Allah SWT put barakah in the night for sleeping, Allah SWT put barakah in the morning for work. So that time that is between, let's say, sunrise or early morning up to Zohar, that is a time where you are, Allah SWT has put a barakah factor of efficiency in our day. And if we don't use that part of our day, and you will find that. Sometimes that if you use your morning, sometimes you yourself will be like, well, I got so much, it's only one o'clock, and I've already gotten so much done today, compared to my weekend when I would, you know, would reach Isha, and I would hardly have gotten anything done. So one thing then is sleeping 
and being awake at the proper times. The second thing is saving ourselves from oversleep, right? And by the way, you should know, uh, there was a class <laughs> in the University of Chicago called Biology of Sleep. I remember I initially enrolled for that class. And there's something called the Sleep Lab at the University of Chicago. It actually has this entire sort of center for the study of sleep. And there was this woman, I can't remember her name right now, uh, but she taught biology of sleep and it was like an 8.30 class. Now, I originally registered for that class and I went for one or two classes and I dropped the class because I had difficulty getting up at 8.30 in the morning, right? Uh, but I remember even from those first few classes in biology of sleep, uh, one thing I remember very well, which all of you should know, that scientifically, biologically, there is no such thing as catching up on sleep. There's no meaning to that. In other words, if you spend one week of your life in which you only slept five or six hours a night, it does not mean, right, on day eight, you need to quote-unquote catch up on your sleep and sleep for 14, 16, 18 hours. There's no such thing as catching up on your sleep. Yes, there is something that if you're overworked and you get very tired, you might sleep for eight hours or something like that. Uh, but, you know, that is just means that you're, if you're overworked or you're under-rested, you need more rest, right? But there's no notion of catching up on lost sleep, right? Um, what is the hours of sleep? Imam Allah said that you should try not to sleep more than eight hours in a 24-hour period. Uh, and, you know, you actually can uh, try to work your way down to six. But really, to go, to go below six hours is very difficult on a regular basis in this day and age. Uh, either you'll be able to go below six hours if you do a lot of dhikr, or you're going to be able to go below six hours if you're extremely motivated about something. And some of you might be. There are sometimes people you will find if you're motivated about your studies or in finals week, sometimes there are kids who go by in three, four hours sleep average in a 24-hour period for six or seven days. What enabled them to do that? Motivation, willpower, right? And then you would imagine then, right, and you really need to reflect on our own lives and look what we've been able to do when we've been motivated about something in the, in the dunya. Imagine what we would be able to do if we really were motivated about our deen, right? So what should you do then with all this extra time that you have now just gained by sleeping a little bit less, right? Well, you should, you know, and then that's the second thing, right? That the second practical step to reduce our heedlessness is our free time. In other words, it's not such a big deal right now, right, that a person says, okay, I'm ghafal and when I'm studying, or I'm ghafal in class, or when I'm working, I'm not able to remember Allah. That's something that a person should work on. But the first place to work is our free time, right? And that's really what Allah SWT wants. Allah SWT wants our free time. Allah SWT does not want you to drop out from your studies. He doesn't want you to drop out from your work. He doesn't want you to drop out from your family time. What Allah SWT wants is our free time. And even in that, Allah SWT is kind enough to even take part of our free time. Right? So that shows how, really how distant we've become, that how neglectful we've become of Allah SWT, that we're not even willing to give Him part of our free time. You know, and that's really shocking, right? That's absolutely shocking. And so what, what a person really needs to do then is that set up some time in their weekend, even just one or two hours on their weekend. You can join a course, you can study, you can engage in your own worship, your own dhikr, your own remembrance, your own reflection. But a person should be able to say at the end of every weekend that I spent a few hours this weekend, I devoted a few hours this weekend to improving my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You would find that when you do something partially, 
Allah SWT enables you to do something completely. In other words, when you partially remove the ghafla from, when we partially remove the ghafla from our lives, then Allah SWT will enable us to remove it entirely from our life. You will find that a person who spends even one or two hours on Saturday doing something for the sake of Allah, the rest of the day they won't be able to forget him. That's the barakah, right? The rest of the day they'll do other things. They'll occupy themselves in other affairs. But the rest of the day, part of their heart will continue to remember him. Part of their heart will continue to revel and rejoice in the sweetness of those one or two hours that they gave him. And that's really the best way, right? Is we can actually remove absolute ghafla just by partial dhikr. That is the power again of dhanin. That's phenomenal. There's nothing else in the world uh, that would enable you to do that. There's no way you could uh, remove something entirely just by doing something partially. It's the deen of Islam, it's the power of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that enables us to remove this all-encompassing heedlessness even if we just do a small amount or a partial amount of dhikr or ibadah or remembrance or worship. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again said in the Qur'an al-Kareem أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْأَنْعَامْ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ Right? And in another verse of the Quran, and I can't remember the Arabic right now, but Allah subhanahu wa mentions shaitan and says that shaitan will distract them from the zikr of Allah and distract them from their prayer. Right? That Allah shaitan will make a human being ghafil. First of Allah's remembrance. Right? When he's done that, then it's very easy to make a person ghafil of their prayer. Right? And it's very important, you know, I guess it's slightly more difficult for women of, for, maybe uh, for those women who do not pray regularly in the masjid or who don't have this regular habit of praying then you have to be all the more mindful of your prayers right? you have to be all the more watchful of your day and to make sure that we make the time out in our day to pray to Allah subhanahu wa on a regular basis and you will find that that day even that moment of your life when you've actually offered your prayer you will feel the barakah immediately Right, so let's say the time for Isha starts at 7.15. As soon as you offer Isha Salah, you will get barakah in your life and that barakah will last until the time of Fajr. Right? And you will find that when you offer Isha early, then there's a feeling of peace, of contentment, of, you know, a certain level of contentment that settles in your heart. And if you keep delaying Isha till 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, then there's a looming tension and stress, right? Uh, that that can build up uh, in your heart, and, and why would you want to do that, right? Since you're going to offer the salah anyway, it makes much more sense to offer that salah in the beginning, and then to take the barakah of the zikr of the salah, and to have it remain with you throughout the time of that prayer period. So, in essence, then, I mean, there's in one way or another, we have to return to a path of zikr to remove our ghafla, our heedlessness. We can do that by formally studying and formally learning how to make dhikr. Or a person can try to do that by informally simply trying to remember or think about Allah SWT more and more throughout their day. But if we allow ourselves to continue and persist in the state of unawareness or absent-mindedness that we're in, then if we can't say that we're any better today than we were two years ago, well, the same thing is going to happen in ten years, right? And we won't be able to say we're any better than that we were 10 years ago. Then we won't be able to say that we're any better than we were 20 years ago. And then before you know it, our life will end and we will be extinguished 
from this world, right? Never to return, never to have another chance. Never again to be able to voluntarily worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the chance to disobey Him. In some sense it's a golden opportunity uh, that we have. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability at least today simply to make the niyyah, simply to make the intention, simply to formulate the desire, the yearning in our heart that we want to remove right, our absent-mindedness and we want to return to a level of remembrance and recollection, then that itself is life-transforming. We will find that this itself is something that would change and transform our life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to be included amongst the zakirin, Allah kathira wa zakirat, amongst the men and women who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in abundance. Right? And that's really what it's going to take. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala almost, almost, 90%, right? Almost every single time He has mentioned dhikr in the Qur'an, He has mentioned kathir. He has mentioned that we have to engage in abundant remembrance, excessive remembrance, uh, you know, a perpetual, constant remembrance of Him. And it's only that that will enable us to remove the neglect or the heedlessness that is settled into our hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa enable all of us to escape from this vicious cycle of ghafla and to enter into the nur, into the light, into the sukoon and the solace of dhikr. Just end with the dua. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muhammadullahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. Rabbana adhalamna anfusana wa illam tagfillana wa tarhamna lalakunanna mana khasinin. Allahumma inna nas'aluka habbaka wa habba man yuhibbak. Allahumma inna kaafun kareemun tahibbu la'fafa fu'anna wa kfillana wa rhamna. Anta maulana anfalmansuna ala kawmil kafirin. Ya arhamal rahimin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we turn to you, Ya Allah, on this blessed day, Friday, Ya Allah, we turn to you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for all of our sins, Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for the sin of heedlessness, we ask you to forgive us for the sin of ghafla. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to remove the layers of rust that have encroded our hearts. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to remove the veils that have come between us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to remove the veils of our understanding, the veils in our feeling, ya Allah, the veils that prevent us from practice. Ya Allah, we ask you to remove the veils from our heart. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to soften our hearts towards your remembrance. Ya Allah, we ask you to soften our hearts towards your remembrance. Ya Allah, we ask you to put the new word of the dhikr into our hearts. Ya Allah, we ask you to, from the tip of our hair to the soles of our feet, Ya Allah, make each and every atom of our body from the, from our superficial area to the core of our being. Ya Allah, let it be permeated with your dhikr, with your remembrance, with your obedience, and with your worship, and with your love. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to take away our ghafla. We ask you to take away each and every aspect of our heedlessness and neglect. We ask you to keep us away from all those things that may make us neglect you. Ya Allah, we ask you to keep us away from the gatherings of neglect, the people of neglect, the thoughts of neglect, the feelings of neglect, the words of neglect, the emotions of neglect, the memories of neglect. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us to the gatherings of remembrance, the people of remembrance. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide Guide us to the ways of remembrance, the methods of remembrance. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us to the thoughts of remembrance, to the feelings of remembrance. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, just like you said in the Quran al that when a person makes two tawbah, Ya Allah,
Allah, you change all their bad deeds into good ones. Ya Allah, we repent of our heedlessness and we ask you to change each and every moment that we have spent in heedlessness of you. Ya Allah, we ask you to change it into a moment of remembrance and recollection. Ya Allah, we ask you to change each and every aspect of our life that may be displeasing to you. And Ya Allah, turn us to those things that earn your pleasure. Ya Allah, let there be nothing more pleasing to us in this world except those things that are pleasing to you. And let there be nothing more repugnant to us in this world except except those things that earn your displeasure. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to increase us in our love for you and our love for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and our love for the Qur'an Al-Kareem and our love for the teachings of Nabi Al-Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to give us the ability, the desire, the intention, the the effort, Ya Allah, to learn each and every meaning of the Quran, of each and every verse of the meaning of each and every verse of the Quran al-Kareem, and the meaning of each and every ta'lim of the Nabi al-Kareem. And Ya Allah, we ask you to give us the ability to practice and implement each and every one of your noble and blessed teachings and your revelation, and each and every one of the noble and blessed teachings of your beloved Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us quickly to those or bring us with haste to allow us to hasten our to those things that are beneficial and Ya Allah we ask you to give us the ability to hasten ourselves away from those things that are crippling Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah we ask you to accept our du'as to make us people of du'a to make us people of dhikr to enable us to adorn ourselves with all of the attributes of the mu'mineen and mu'minat Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah we ask you to make each and every one of the women closer and closer to the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen. Ya Allah, grant us the sifat of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen. Ya Allah, grant us the attributes of the mothers of the believers. Ya Allah, grant us the hikmat and the judgment of Amma Aish radha anha. Ya Allah, grant us the forbearance and the sabr of Amma Khadija radha anha. Ya Allah, grant us the piety and the taqwa of all of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen and of all of the Sahabiyat. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to enable us to learn more about their lives, more about their examples, so that we may follow in their, their footsteps. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to, we beg of you, Ya Allah, to mold us in such a way that we are patterned after their mold. We ask you to incline our hearts towards them. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to be in their company, in their presence on the Day of Judgment, and to be in their company in the Akhirah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you, we beg of you, Ya Allah, to increase us in our desire to follow upon this deen. Ya Allah, to remove the incapacitating ghaflat that has overcome us. Ya Allah, to remove our lack of feeling, to remove our lack of desire, to remove our lack of intention. Ya Allah, we ask you to remove our laziness. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from the enemies within, the laziness of our own nafs, the ghaflat of our own heart, the whisperings of our own khilat and our own aql. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us our aql salim, aqalbun salim, anafsi mutma'inna, Ya Allah, you are the Muzakki. You are the being who can purify. Ya Allah, you can purify the innermost dirt and filth that has penetrated our heart. Ya Muzakki al-Qulub. Ya Allah, the purifier of hearts. Ya Allah, we ask you to purify our hearts to the core of our being. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us stability to be regular in our worship, to be regular in our salah, to have feeling in our worship, to have feeling in our sajda, to have feeling in our du'a. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to save us and to protect us from all of the evils and ills in society, from all of the evil and ills in and around us from all of the evil ideologies, from all of the evil ideologues, from all of the evil thoughts, from all of the evil whisperings. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to save us and our and those who are beloved to us. Ya Allah, our children, our spouses, our students, our teachers, our, our parents, 
Ya Allah, Ya Bakrim, those who are near to us and we ask you to shower your special rahmah upon this whole ummah. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide this ummah, Ya Allah, out from the darkness into the light. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, those of us who are sick, Ya Allah, we beg of you and we ask you to grant us health. Those of us who have beloved family members or relatives who are ill, Ya Allah, we ask you to grant them the shifaiq, amala, ajala, mustamilla, the most perfect, complete, absolute, and lasting, permanent form of health. Ya Rabbi Kareem, those of us who have any worry or difficulty in the world, and especially if that worry and difficulty is keeping us from the deen, Ya Allah, with the niyat of the deen, Ya Allah, we ask you to remove that difficulty and worry from this world. And Ya Allah, those of us who have no difficulties, who have no worries, who are drowning in each and every one of the infinite pleasures and bounties that you have bestowed upon us, Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to overcome our own laziness, to become people of action, to become people of mujahala, to become people of effort, and so that we draw ourselves closer to this deen. Rabbana takabal minna innaka anta samil alim, wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawab rahim, wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, bi rahmatika ya arhamal rahimin.